0: Welcome this morning to Alberta Baptist Church. If you're new with us, my name's KJ. Uh, I'd like to welcome all of our spring breakers who are here today. Actually, we've, we've got a lot of people who are away. Uh, we're going to pray in just a little bit for uh, six that we have on a mission trip this week during spring break to New York City. Uh, Kyle is leading that trip, and we've got five of our students along with him, and then another six from other churches in the area. So we're going to pray for them as they minister to those in New York City. Uh, Billy Jones. If you guys remember, Billy Jones is there. He's uh, reaching South Asians in New York City. They're going to be spending some time with him. We want to pray for them all here in just a bit. Um, But before we do, I want to draw your attention to this. There is a handout that goes with today's sermon. And kids are with us this morning. We're not going to dismiss our kids to Children's Church. They're going to stay with us for the sermon. Kids, I made this for you. So I want all of our kids to have one of these. It looks very Pilgrim's Progress esque this morning. And kids, you will note that there is a special thing for you to do uh, on on this. Uh, Actually, four things for you to do. And I'm going to give you a bonus one this morning as well. If you want to write down on one side of this the word life and on the other side the word death, and then make a mark every time you hear or see those words, come up to me at the end of the service and tell me. How many times you got, there might be be a prize for the winner who got it right here at the end. Uh, So make sure you got one of these handouts before uh, before the sermon starts. Uh, You'll enjoy having that. Uh, Our our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 42. Let me read verses 1 through 4 and then pray for us. Isaiah 42, beginning verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Behold, my servant... "...whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations." Boy, do we need that. "...he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish." He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Father, we come to you this morning desiring this one. The desire of nations, may he come. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring justice to the earth. May the coastlands wait expectantly for your word, for your law, for it is good, it is right, it is just. And Lord, we thank you for this word, that a bruised reed the Lord Jesus will not break. You will not break us, though we are beaten down and and feeling broken You will mend all that was broken. You will heal us. A dimly burning wick, you will not extinguish. Lord, our lives so often fill so full of smoke, so full of sin, but you will not extinguish what is real and genuine faith. Though it be weak, though it be small, you love it, and you will care for it. May we rejoice that we get to be your people, that we feel, feel bent, that we feel uh, smoky in many ways. May we rejoice that our Lord Jesus loves us. He cares so tenderly for us. May we rejoice in his strong and kind love this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. 13 through 29. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came The crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes.
0: Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you now and as all over this city, indeed all over the world today, your word is being opened and people are hearing it. Lord, we pray for um, those among us right now who are in New York City uh, sharing your word, hearing your word, uh, speaking your word to others. May it go out in power. Lord, we pray for our city here in Tuscaloosa that your word may go out and your spirit may, may pierce hearts with the truth of it, bring conviction. Lord, we pray for ourselves as we gather around these words of Jesus this morning that we might see more clearly than ever before the path that is set before our feet. One way leads to destruction. One way leads to life. May we hear and believe this morning and find our lives built upon the rock of the Lord Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've come this morning to the end of the most famous sermon ever given. Rightly were the crowds amazed, verse 28, at all that Jesus had said. In the scope of one sermon, Jesus has turned the world on its head. And now people are getting their first glimpse of seeing the world right side up the world as it really is. People are seeing it for the first time. So much of what we thought about the world, Jesus says, is just plain wrong. We naturally assumed that it was the rich who are the blessed ones, but Jesus says, no, it's the poor. We naturally assume that the carefree are blessed, not those who mourn, that it's the strong who inherit the earth, not the gentle, That it's the popular crowd who are the favored ones, but Jesus says, no, it's the persecuted. From the very beginning of Jesus' sermon, he has been showing us that our default way of seeing things is often the exact opposite of what it should be. An image we've used several times in this sermon series already is that we have been born upside down. All of us Born into this world upside down. Kids, you've got this illustration in front of you. You'll notice that all the people are right side up, but you might go back and redraw them. They're all upside down on this road. We've been born into this world upside down, seeing the world upside down. We naturally have an opposite, upside down view of who the truly blessed ones are and where true righteousness comes from and what real prayer looks like. And so much more, Jesus says. Not only do we naturally have an upside-down view of life, but we also have an upside-down view of where our lives are headed. If you're young here this morning, you may not have given much thought to where your life is headed. Maybe you've thought some about what you want to be when you grow up. Maybe you've thought about a future career. Maybe you thought about a future family, but it's hard to look any farther down the road beyond those things. If you're older here this morning, you may still be asking yourself, what am I going to be when I grow up? Uh, You might still be looking down the road and wondering what's next, or perhaps you might be looking back now, looking back down life's road at how you did Do you know what grade most everyone gives themselves when they're asked to grade how they did? Most everyone thinks of themselves as being what? Above average, right? Most everyone looks at themselves and thinks, I'm I'm a little bit better than most. We we think of ourselves as being better than most. It's, It's other people out there who are the real problem, not me. I'm better than most. So wherever this life is going and wherever the road ends, I'll be fine. I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most. I'll be fine. Unlike us, Jesus doesn't have vague ideas, vague thoughts on where life is going. He knows. He knows and he warns us. What most everyone assumes about themselves is wrong. Fatally, tragically wrong. Listen again to what he says in verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus says here that there are two roads. There's a road that leads to life, and there's a road that leads to destruction. When Jesus says that one of these roads leads to life, he, of course, means something more than just biological life. This bit of life that we all have right now People on both roads have this kind of life already. We know that he must mean something more, something more than what everyone else already has. There's a road that you can take now during this physical, biological life that we're all living. There's a road you can take that leads to something much, much more. Jesus says it leads to life forever, eternal life is at the end of this road. Likewise, Jesus says, destruction is also at the end of a road. Jesus means something more than just physical destruction, something more than just physical death. Apart from Christ's return, everyone will face physical death. I will die. You will die. We will all face death physically. But the destruction Jesus describes here is something much, much more. It's eternal. It's eternal destruction. It's eternal ruin. It's a forever existence under the weight of judgment is at the end of this broad road. All of us are on the road to one destination or the other. Every one you know can be drawn somewhere on this illustration. Everyone you know. Kids, that's your activity number one. Draw yourself on this where you think you are. And parents, it'll create an interesting lunch conversation afterward. Draw yourself where you think you are. Jesus says our default path, the place where we all start, is the broad road. The broad road that leads to destruction. On your handout, I've tried to illustrate that for you. Uh, You see the big crowd there gathered at the Y gate. This is everyone, all of us. Along with everyone the world over, we all begin life in the same place. Whether we're rich or poor, whether we've been born into a Christian family or into a Hindu family or a Buddhist family Or an atheistic family. We all begin in the same place. We all start life together at the starting gate. The wide gate. Jesus says it's called the wide gate. It's as wide as all humanity is wide. Because we're all equally lost. We're all equally sin-marred image bearers of God. We're all rebels against Heaven's king. We all start the race of life together, passing through the wide gate. And from there, we find ourselves on a road, the broad road. The broadness of the road means that you can live however you want to live on this road. There's room to weave from side to side. It's a broad road. You can live however you want to live, you can live by your own rules. Or you can live by the rules of your family culture or your religion. What's been set for you? You can live to please yourself or you can live to please others on this broad road. You can pursue a path of self-expression or you can pursue a path of conformity to the rules. You can make your own kind of music, sing your own special song, or you can join the choir. And sing what everyone else is singing. Sing the same tune. These two sides of the road seem so different that most people assume this is the real choice in life. This is the real choice. Am I going to choose the way of religion? I can be a rule keeper. I can keep my religious standards, I can pray my prayers, I can show up at my religious activities, I can be a guardian of tradition, of traditional values, and in doing all of that, I'll be accepted. I'll be accepted by God, and I'll be accepted by others. Let's call that side of the broad road the Pharisee Avenue. You see it there? The Pharisee Avenue. Avenue. The Pharisee Avenue is a very popular path. Actually, over half of the world today is running down that road, the road of religion, the path of the Pharisee. But the other side of the street is what we call the prodigal way. You see that? It feels very much like you're choosing another road, like you're choosing the opposite way of life, I'm choosing no religion. I'm throwing off all the rules. I'm living by whatever feels right to me. Kids, you know the story of the prodigal son, right? There's two brothers. One is the prodigal. He does his own thing. He takes the the money from the father. He goes off and spends it however he wants. Loose living, Jesus says. That's the younger brother, the prodigal. But there's also an older brother who's the Pharisee. When the prodigal returns, the father throws a party for him, but the older brother does not go in. He doesn't go in the party, and you remember the reason he gave? He says, I will not go in because I have always obeyed you. I've always kept the rules. I've always done it. I've always performed. Both the prodigal and the Pharisee are going away from the father. They're going away from God. The younger brother chose the way of the prodigal. Irreligion, relative morals, rule-breaking, self-discovery. The older brother is also going away. He chose religion. He chose traditional morals. He chose rule-keeping. He was self-righteous. The people who choose the prodigal way and the people who choose the Pharisee avenue tend not to get along with one another very well as we saw in Jesus story they tend to be at odds with one another they point at the other side and say they're the group that is causing the real problems in this world they're the ones messing everything up they throw stones they shoot arrows at one another and kids if you look really closely at the illustration you'll see they're on the sand they're having a big fight They're throwing stones. They're shooting arrows at one another on the beach because as long as they're throwing stones and throwing blame at each other, they become distracted from just how bad their own side is. It's so much worse over there. Things here would be better if it weren't for them over there. Some people, however, can't ignore forever how bad their side is. And what do they do? They jump ship. They cross over to the other side. And oftentimes, kids, they rebel against the side of the broad road that their parents chose. The pendulum is over here and now it swings the other way for them. They rebel. They switch to the other side. It's gotta be better over there on that side of the broad road It's got to be better on that other path. What did my parents know anyway? Their irreligious lives were so messed up, I'm going down the road of religion. Or their religious lives were so oppressive, I'm going down the other road, the road of irreligion. People often move to the other side of the road only to discover that it leaves them just as empty, just as unchanged as before. Except perhaps for this one thing. Actually, switching to the other side of the road very often produces one big change. Both sides of the road are capable of creating very prideful, self-righteous people. Have you noticed this? I, I'm, for the religious people, I'm keeping my religious standards better than everyone else, the people over there, and so it puffs me up. Or... On the other side, they say, at least I'm free and not in bondage like those religious zealots over there. Ha, each camp thinks they've chosen a completely different way, a completely different road. But the tragedy is that each side of the broad road leads to the exact same place. It leads to destruction. Verse 13, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many, religious and irreligious, who enter through it. The broad road is a deceptive road. It is so broad that you can live polar opposite ways and still arrive at the same destination in the end. It gives the illusion of choice and the comfort of walking with the crowd. But its end is worse than you can possibly imagine. Jesus warns us, though. He warns us. With a shout that comes down through the ages to us today, Jesus warns us, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, traveler. You're on the road. Wake up. You're on the way to destruction. See it. And look here. Look to me. There is another road. There is a third way. There is a way of escape. There, and here, look at me. There is only one other road. And it's a completely different way of life. This road leads to another destination. One that is far better than you can possibly imagine. And Jesus says, I've built this way. I have built this road at my own expense, but it is narrow. I've built it for all who would come and listen and escape from destruction. Here, Jesus arrests us in our tracks and points us to the narrow gate that he has made. Much like Paul on the road to Damascus, he thinks he's he's the Pharisee, right? I'm doing it right, I'm keeping all the rules, but what does God do? God arrests him on the way and says, No, you're on a path that leads to destruction. Here, let me show you the way to life. That needs to happen for all of us. Jesus arrests us with good news. There is a narrow gate that leads to life. Unlike the wide gate with the broad road, the narrow gate leads on to a narrow road, a narrow path. It's an easy thing to picture. If you've ever been to England, there are small, narrow roads. And what do these roads have on both sides? They have hedges. Hedges that have been there for hundreds of years, perhaps. Hedges or stone walls. And it is narrow. It is tight. You can't get off the road. Uh, there'd be a beautiful bit of countryside, but you can't see it because the hedges are always there. The hedges. Do you know why? The English have a reason. Do you know why they, they travel down the opposite side of the road of us? So they can fight, right? Because knights would always be right-handed. And you always want your defensive side against the hedge as you traveled along. That's a little bonus this morning. Uh, hedges. We are hedged in. On this narrow road, past the narrow gate, we are hemmed in by hedges. And you can't live just any way you want. On the broad road, you can live however you want. It's broad. But on the narrow road, it is small. The way is hemmed in on either side. And we are compelled to follow the good path set before us. It's a path that leads down a lane to good fruit. Jesus says, this is what to expect and what to watch out for as well. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Jesus warns us that some will come dressed and sounding like they are travelers on the way to life. But in reality... It is a disguise. It's a disguise. They are wolves, not sheep. Their goal is to prey upon others, perhaps even intending to draw them away back to the broad side of the road that they prefer. Jesus says, You will know them by their fruit. What does he mean by that? What is this fruit? That Jesus means for us to look for in the lives of others. I don't think this is the sum total of the answer, but a very good place to start is by looking at what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of God's Spirit at work in our lives. And you see it there on your illustration. You see the path along the narrow road is lined with fruit trees. True travelers on this road are nourished by these fruits. They imbibe the fragrance as they journey along, and it becomes part of them. They smell like it. Your mom said, you are what you eat, right? You become like these things. And our lives, therefore, begin to reflect it more and more. Our hearts increasingly begin to reflect God's heart, which is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of God's Spirit at work in us. This is the fruit that the Holy Spirit cultivates and grows in us. And this is the fruit we are to look for in those claiming to be His. Because Jesus makes it crystal clear, not everyone claiming allegiance to Jesus really knows him. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Nothing that Jesus has ever said should frighten us more than this. Nothing that Jesus has ever said should impress upon us more the importance of faith than this. Jesus says, as clear as it can be said, that calling him Lord is not enough. It's not enough. Claiming to be a Christian is not enough. Lip service to Jesus will save no one from destruction in the end. Lip service to Jesus' name is not enough, but neither is work done in Jesus' name. Again, verse 22, many are saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, preach in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and in your name perform many miracles? But Jesus says, no, I never knew you. In all those works, I never knew you. The scary thing is that Jesus says, many will get this wrong. Many will call me Lord. Many will call me King. But I did not know them. He warns us, don't be among the many. Jesus says that we can't depend upon our works, even the things we've done for God, for our acceptance with God. Even when they're of this caliber, even when they're preaching, even when they're casting out demons, even when those works are performing miracles. Preaching in Jesus' name will not save you. Opposing Satan in Jesus' name will not save you. Even doing miracles in Jesus' name will not save you. Why? Because if you are looking to anything you've done to save you, then you are not looking to Jesus and Jesus alone. If you're trusting in any of your performance for Jesus, then you are no longer trusting in Jesus' performance for you. Does that make sense? Do you see that? By trusting in your works for God, you've replaced Jesus and you've become your own substitute savior. It can't be, kids, it can't be Jesus plus the good I've done that's what will save me. It's got to be no price in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. It's got to be that. Paul told us it had to be this way in the book of Galatians. You remember Galatians, uh, they were starting to get, get messed up by adding one little thing to the gospel Circumcision, Paul says, if you add one little thing, it's no longer Jesus alone who saves you. If you contribute one little thing, that one little thing becomes the critical bit, and you've changed the gospel. It's no longer the true gospel, it's a different gospel, it's a false gospel. Before he became a Christian, Paul was one of the most religious men ever to walk the face of the earth. He said, if anyone could be saved by their works, it would have been me. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. As to the law, no one could accuse me of any fault. But all those things I thought were gain to me, that I thought were recommending me to God, that God would accept me based upon the things I did, all those things I thought were gain, what did they turn out to be? Loss, loss. Those were the very things that were keeping me from God. I thought I was good enough recommending myself to him, but those things became the stumbling block that kept me from true righteousness. My own self-righteousness kept me from a righteousness that came by faith in Jesus. Notice here on the illustration that the narrow gate is closer to the prodigal side of the road. That's for a reason. It's for a good reason. Jesus says, it's the, it's the prostitutes. It's the tax collectors who are finding the way into the kingdom. It's the prodigals who are turning and repenting because the Pharisees think I've already done enough. I'm already good enough. I'm, I'm accepted by God based upon the things I've done. I've proclaimed, I've preached, I've cast out demons. I've been a part of miracles. But if you put your faith in those things, you are not putting your faith In a savior. It's a difficult discovery for the Pharisee that all the things I thought were going to recommend me to God, they are actually the things keeping me from God. But we must all make that same discovery. The same discovery that Paul made, counting all our good works as worthless to recommend ourselves to God, worthless next to the value of knowing Jesus and building our lives upon him alone. Kids, you've got to make that discovery in your life. You may be a good kid, but your good good things you do will never be enough to recommend yourself to God. But the good news is, Jesus is all you need. He is all you will ever need. Because if you make anything else the foundation you build your life upon, including your good works, then you risk hearing the scariest words imaginable. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Kids, adults, if you want to be known by Jesus, you must believe and build your life upon him. Jesus makes this as clear as he can as he finishes this sermon. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and slammed against the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. What, as Jesus ends this Sermon on the Mount, what an amazingly audacious statement does he make? If you build your life on what I have just said to you, you'll stand forever. But if you ignore me, if you ignore my words, your life will all come crashing down in the end. Kids, imagine your teacher saying that to you on Monday morning. You listen to what I say today, you're going to stand forever, but if you don't, your whole life's going to crumble. What kind of teacher would say that? It's an incredibly audacious statement, unless, of course, it's true. Unless it's true, then this is the most loving, life giving statement that has ever been spoken to you. Jesus has just spoken truth to you, a truth that will save your life from the storms. And they are coming, storms are coming. A truth that will save you from death itself. Death is coming. Notice the things Jesus said that are givens here. You've got to build your life on something. That's a given. Everyone's going to do it. Whether it's rock or sand, everyone's going to build their life on something. Something must be the foundation. Something must be the core of your identity. And there's a multitude of things that you can build your life on, just like there's a multitude of sand at the beach. There's a lot of options. But there is only one rock big enough to build your life on and it stand. You have to build your life upon something. Either shifting sand or the solid rock. Notice also there's one more given. Here, Jesus says, storms will come. That's a given. All of us will experience loss. All of us will experience illness. All of us will experience death. It's appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. There will be judgment. Jesus lovingly warns you this morning. Your life will come crashing down with these storms unless you build it upon the rock, unless you build it upon me. You, on your own, cannot weather all that life will throw at you. Kids, you can't do it. Adults, you should know this, you can't do it. There will be storms in this life that you cannot weather. And death will not be the end. Judgment is coming. And every house built upon the sand will collapse in eternal ruin. But don't let that be you. Please, don't let that be you. Knock on the narrow gate and the door will be opened for you. Seek the way, and you will find it. Trust in Jesus alone, and abandon the broad road that leads to destruction. Whether you pursued it as a prodigal, or you pursued it as a Pharisee, let it go, and come to the narrow gate. Build your life upon Christ. And guess what? When the storms bash against you, you'll be able to stand. When losses come, and they will, you'll be able to say, Jesus is my riches. When illness comes, you'll be able to confess, Jesus is my health. He is my portion. He is my hope. When death knocks, you'll be able to say, my life has been lived for Christ, and therefore for me, To die is gain. It is gain. I gain him and the universe besides. The storm of God's righteous judgment will completely pass you over because Jesus has already been judged on your behalf. He's already absorbed the storm for you. He's already been battered by the waves. Jesus has already been pierced through by the winds of God's wrath for you. You will be able to stand because you stand on him. And for all those whose house stands through the storm, look at what lies behind the clouds. It's the sun. It's eternal day that awaits us. Eternal joy awaits all who make Jesus their refuge in this life, in this life's storms. So, this morning, Jesus warns you. He calls you, wake up. He calls you away from the broad road that leads to destruction and says, trust in me follow me. I want to show you the way that leads to life. Jesus wants to save you from destruction. Whether you were walking there as a Pharisee or as a prodigal, Jesus warned you and Jesus wants you. He wants you to come. Come to the narrow gate. If you doubt that that's true, Just look at him, look at the cross, see him die your death and bear God's punishment for your life on the broad road. Look at his empty tomb, see him standing victorious over the grave and offering the same victory to you. Whether you're nine years old today or 99, Christ is offering himself to you. Jesus offers all this, the rock that you can stand on and stand on forever to you. Will you believe his word today and make him the foundation of your life forever? Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. We've heard the word of a living God, the word of Christ spoken to us, calling us to awake to the reality that we live in, that we are those born upside down upon the broad road, but there is a way of escape. There is a narrow gate. May you awaken our eyes to see it and our hearts to long for it. This is your work. This is your spirit's work in us, and I pray your spirit would work now, bringing those who are dead, spiritually dead, to life, we want to be, our feet to be set upon a road that leads to life forevermore. May we find it not in ourselves, not in the works we can do for you, but in a Savior who has done all the work for us. May we now embrace him and joyfully live for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we've heard God's word every Sunday, we sing a song of response. And I want you to know, every Sunday, this altar is open. If you need to do business with God, come. Pray. The altar is open today. I'm always here at the front as well. Come, talk to me. I'd love to share with you more personally how you can know and love the Lord Jesus. That's that's true every Sunday. But this Sunday, because Christ has made such an explicit call to us through his word, I'm going to make that even clearer to you. I'm going to stand right here at the front as Jesus' representative, as, his, as an ambassador for Christ. If you want to get off of the broad road, that's where you find yourself, you want Christ, you want to follow him on the narrow road, then come. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to share with you. I'd love to talk more about how you can know Christ today. Let's stand together and sing this song as we respond to his Word.